I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, a shocking killing in downtown San Francisco. Police on Wednesday were investigating the death of Bob Lee, a prominent technology executive who created Cash App, the mobile payment service. Lee was stabbed at about 2.30 a.m. Tuesday on the 300 block of Main Street, less than two blocks from the Embarcadero in an area full of office towers, upscale condos, and cafes. As of this recording, who did it and why remained a mystery. But what was clear was that the killing was reverberating through the city, through the tech community, and through City Hall. People were upset in a San Francisco that has been divided deeply on how to deal with its biggest challenges, including public safety, and a city that had seen its downtown hollowed out by the pandemic. Later on in the show, I'm going to be talking to Chronicle data reporter Susie Nielsen about what the numbers show about violent crime in San Francisco. But first, Chronicle reporter Jill Tucker, who's been covering the stabbing. Jill, thank you for joining me. We're talking late Wednesday afternoon. What do we know so far about the killing of Bob Lee? Yeah, so this is still somewhat of a breaking story where we don't have a lot of information about what happened uh, when he was killed at, at very early Tuesday morning at 2.35 a.m. was when the, the police got the call to the 300 block of Main Street, which is the city's Rincon Hill neighborhood. And uh, we know that he was stabbed twice. Police found him unconscious, and he later died at the hospital. So far, there are no arrests. And there have been no named suspects, and it's unclear whether this was a random attack or whether this was targeted. There's just still a lot of information that we don't know. So we don't know yet what the motive is or, or, or even what potential motives are. No. So far, police are are not saying much about the investigation. We do know that they were in the neighborhood, presumably looking at surveillance video from businesses and buildings around that area. And we do know, based on video footage from one of the condominiums in the area, that he was seen in the street flagging down vehicles unsuccessfully after the stabbing. And so that was captured on on footage that was described to us. But otherwise, there's little that we know other than the fact that he, he collapsed and, and later died. Later died at the hospital. Yes. Yeah. And Jill, what is that area like? I mean, it's pretty unique in San Francisco. Yeah, you know, that area is kind of a sterile area compared to the rest of San Francisco. Pretty affluent condominiums. And in fact, one of the most expensive developments is in that area, Condominium Tower. And it's an area where a lot of tech workers live. It's expensive. It's a lot of glass. It's shiny. There are some businesses down there as well. And and it's about a block and a half from the bay and the Embarcadero. You know, a neighborhood that's pretty quiet night. It isn't happening. There aren't bars or, or that type of thing. It's it's a lot of high-rise condos and, and pretty quiet streets at nighttime. Jill, who was Bob Lee? What do we know about his life, why he was in San Francisco? Bob Lee was 43 years old. He's well known in the tech community in Silicon Valley and in San Francisco. He was the Cash App founder and was described by some of the biggest names in Silicon Valley and the tech world, like Elon Musk and others, as somebody who was, you know, a standout among the big brains of Silicon Valley and 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 idolized. He also helped build many of the companies that we know so well, in, including Square, which is now Block, and became the chief product officer at cryptocurrency startup Mobile 
Bitcoin in 2021. Now, he was living in the Bay Area up until last year. He was living in Mill Valley, but he he moved last year with his father to Miami. So he was reportedly back in the Bay Area for some type of conference or meetings and visiting with friends. And a huge outpouring from the tech community, Jill. Oh, yes. CEOs, venture capitalists, politicians, big names in the tech industry have been devastated by his death. The CEO of MobileCoin, for example, just said he was a child of dreams, that he was someone who could imagine things and then make them real. He was clearly beloved by by many in the industry and known by politicians and, and other people. Folks are just devastated. This was someone that was a very significant part of the big tech community in San Francisco. Jill, it does seem like the immediate reaction to this killing may reverberate in policy in San Francisco for a while. I mean, this is a city where people are already debating public safety and policing and the health of downtown, which has been hollowed out by the pandemic. I mean, it seems like this might be something that that really affects San Francisco. Yeah, I definitely think so. We're already hearing from supervisors and other folks in the community that are very concerned about whether this illustrates an increasing challenge and one that politicians must fix, must address if they're going to keep workers and businesses in San Francisco. Steve Buss from Grow SFF said that he hoped it it was a wake-up call for elected officials. And and we are hearing from some supervisors saying that they, you know, this is something that even though crime rates are down, that people are feeling unsafe. And that's something that they really have to address. And I think people are going to be looking at more policing or more prosecutions or especially more programs and services for mental health and other issues that people are facing. Jill, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. When we come back, we're going to be talking to another Chronicle reporter, Susie Nielsen, about San Francisco's crime stats and the perception of crime in San Francisco right after this on Fifth Admission. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. If you have a comment or there's a story you think we should cover, let us know. You can email us at fifth, that's F-I-F-T-H, at sfchronicle.com, or leave us a voicemail at 415-777-6156. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa. And we're talking about this week's killing of technology executive Bob Lee in San Francisco. My next guest is Susie Nielsen, a data reporter at The Chronicle, who, among other things, tracks crime statistics. Susie, thanks for joining me. We spoke on Wednesday morning, the two of us, as people were learning about this terrible stabbing, and you and I started to discuss crime stats. I thought, first, Susie, we should just let people in on why we were doing that when we still don't know a lot about what happened in this case. Why were we talking about stats? Damien, as you know, and as we've discussed, crimes like these, these really serious, horrific, violent crimes that lead to loss of life, really trigger a lot of deeply emotional responses and a lot of fear, just a lot of very visceral reactions. And Naturally so. Yeah, of course. I mean, like, I don't want to wake up and hear that somebody in San Francisco has been stabbed and killed. Like, that's an awful thing to hear. 
But I do think so, you know, you and I do spend a lot of time on the Internet tracking people's reactions to things like this. And as we were watching this narrative unfold, we saw the secondary narrative start to emerge where a lot of prominent members of the tech community and others on the Internet, including Elon Musk, were talking about how San Francisco, you know, naturally this event would happen in San Francisco because the city is such a hotbed for violent crime. So I thought, and you thought too, that it would be really important to give readers some additional context on what the numbers show about that particular claim. Because as it turns out, San Francisco, compared to other major cities in the U.S., actually has lower violent crime rates than most other places. And I think, you know, we wouldn't always do this with a crime story or an individual one-off crime story, but we did think in this particular moment that it's really important because this conversation has already launched, kind of rehashed a lot of misperceptions about San Francisco as this violent crime hotbed. And those conversations have the potential to drive policy decisions. We're already seeing people calling for crackdowns on certain types of people accused of crime. And we think that one of the things we can do as a newspaper is add this, I think, very much needed context. All right. So let's get to that main question. Is San Francisco a relatively violent city? How does it compare to other cities? I looked at the 23 police departments in the U.S. that serve 750,000 people or more. So the biggest police departments across the country. San Francisco is one of those police departments. And what we found looking at FBI data for 2020 is that San Francisco has a lower than average violent crime rate. So its violent crime rate in 2020 was 544 reported violent crimes per 100,000 people. That puts it in 14th place of these 23 places. And its murder rate is actually much lower than that. So it had a murder rate in 2020 of five people per 100,000 residents. And that's still, you know, obviously any number of murders and any number of violent crimes is too many. But it is significantly lower than places including Houston, Chicago, Indianapolis, even Seattle, which also has a fairly low crime rate. San Francisco is lower than all these places. It's also worth noting that these are dramatic decreases from decades ago. So in the 1970s, in one year in 1974, when San Francisco had much fewer people than it does now, it recorded 140 homicides. So San Francisco's violent crime rate has also trended much lower over time. And while I couldn't get data for all the cities I looked at over the last couple of years, I did look at data for 2021 and 2022. And San Francisco's violent crime rates in those years were pretty comparable to those of 2018 and 2019. So 2020, there was a big drop because of the pandemic, but the city's overall violent crime rate remains at near historic lows. And just to be clear, the numbers I'm looking at that, that you dug up, Chicago has almost six times the homicides of San Francisco per capita. Yes. And, you know, Oakland is almost as bad as Chicago. It has a really, really high homicide rate just across the bay. So we don't want any homicides in our city, but we do have a much lower homicide rate than many other cities in the country. Okay. But Susie, one of the things that really seems to ignite people in San Francisco and people who visit the city is property crime, theft crimes, car break-ins. How does San Francisco stack up? Yeah. So unfortunately, we have a much less rosy picture 
when it comes to property crime. We did an analysis, I think last year, of San Francisco's property crime rate and compared San Francisco to the nine other biggest cities in California. And San Francisco had the second highest rate of property crime, second only to Oakland. So the city really does struggle a lot with really high property crime rates, as probably many residents could tell you. And the pandemic also drove actually a big reduction in property crime in San Francisco. But unlike violent crime, which has steadily trended downward since at least the 90s, San Francisco's property crime rates are kind of more up and down. So there was a pretty sustained decrease, and then it went back up again in the 2010s. And it's kind of the line has looked a lot more jagged and up and down than the kind of nice downward slope we're seeing with violent crime. The other thing that people talk about, and, and we're seeing it today with the response to this tragic killing, Susie, is, mm-hmm. okay, San Francisco, it's pretty rare to see homicides like this one. Perhaps the statistics don't bear out that San Francisco is way more dangerous than than other places. But people feel unsafe here. They feel unsafe perhaps walking down the street alone. How do you, as someone who who studies criminal justice and statistics, deal with the fact that people say they feel unsafe? I can relate to that because I sometimes feel unsafe, too, when I walk around downtown San Francisco. I think... It's really easy to look around at a city with so much human suffering. Like when you walk in the Tenderloin or other neighborhoods, you see a lot of unhoused people who are struggling with drug addictions. And I think it's easy when you see that kind of suffering to equate it with disorder and crime. And also, you know, when you get your things stolen, even if you're not directly hurt, you might feel like that's a, and rightly so, that it's a serious violation of your property and your rights as a citizen of the city. So I totally can understand and relate to that feeling. But I do think it's important to separate out what homelessness is, what property crime is, and what violent crime is. Violent crime is above and beyond just, you know, it's the taking of a human life or direct injury to somebody. And so I do think it's important to really separate out what these different things are and what's causing them. And to address this misperception that because San Francisco has high rates of homelessness and high rates of property crime, that is also a really violent and unsafe place to be because, you know, for many people, it isn't. And in most neighborhoods, it's not really that unsafe. So in addition to feeling impacted by these problems on the ground, I think a lot of San Franciscans also feel unsafe because like many other people in the U.S., we are exposed very regularly to very sensationalized media about crime. And scholars have done work on the impact of these kinds of images and videos on people's perceptions. And this one professor, George Gerbner, coined this term the mean world syndrome to refer to the impact that violent crime imagery has on people. So Basically, the more exposed you are to media about violent crime, the more likely you are to believe that the world is an unsafe place. And I think San Francisco's position in the national media landscape, especially the conservative media landscape, has done a lot to make us all feel like we are not living in a safe place. And I think it's just worth asking kind of how much of that really meshes with our day-to-day lived reality of violent crime, especially as we continue to have these conversations about responding with policy choices. And Susie, it, it bears saying, but that's 
we have a role in that. And you and I talked about it before the show. We we are covering this homicide and we're also examining the larger issues, but it's very difficult for us. Yeah. I mean, Damien, I have so appreciated our ongoing conversations about how to cover these issues responsibly. And I think the Chronicle has made a lot of positive strides. Like we don't really include mugshots usually anymore in our stories. And we try to include larger contextual information in every story. But, you know, I think we probably still make a lot of mistakes. And I think a lot of all publications, I think, should be having these internal conversations every time there's a major incident like this. Susie Nielsen, thank you so much. Thank you, Damien. Thanks to my guests today. They're Chronicle reporters, Jill Tucker and Susie Nielsen. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. <laughs>